One of the things that I loved about an NFL locker room as much as anything else was how it just brought a group together and a group so diverse from so many different backgrounds. In the NFL, you had guys from all over the country, from all walks of life, from all different cultural backgrounds as well. And I knew the minute that Sean Alexander walked into our Seahawk locker room, it would never be the same. Sean just had this smile. He had this just glow to him that was so different, that was so unique. And this podcast is all about the intersection of faith and sports. And of all of my teammates that I think about through the years, I think about that smile for Sean. And that smile was, I think, representative of the fact that he was a football player. Yes, he loved it. He loved to be the star. He loved to be the touchdown maker. He loved every bit of being an NFL running back. But that smile was always an understanding of this is a gift that football and my talents is all a gift that I've been given from God to go and use for his glory. And he did it for many years in the NFL, all the way to an MVP level, and he's doing it now off the field, still smiling and still glowing today. Sean, we met when you were drafted to the Seattle Seahawks. You came from the University of Alabama. Roll Tide. I got to know you pretty quickly, but I didn't know the Sean Alexander at home growing up in Kentucky. Can you take me into your home? Born in Florence, Kentucky. My uh, mom has six sisters, one brother. Uh, my dad was from Dayton. You know, one day I'm going to write a book about my mom. My mom uh, was the big mama of the neighborhood. You know, she was my mom. She was half of everybody else's dad, you know, and uh, it was really cool. But my dad, um, he had nine kids from four different women. And so he had a high school sweetheart, uh, had a child with her, got to college and uh, got his college girlfriend pregnant and uh, thought he needs to get his life together. So he married that lady. They had three sons, uh, my three half brothers. And um, in the middle of their marriage, they got found out they were pregnant with their fourth child. And uh, the his wife told him that the fourth child might not be his. And so they divorced. And so my dad kind of spent pretty much the next three years trying to figure out who he was, what's life about. You know, he's unsaved. And and so I asked my mom, who is this uh, godly woman, how did you end up with my dad? <laughs> and she said, you know, Sean, and, and this is the book I'm going to write. She said, your dad had Christian game. <laughs> and I'm going to write a book about that where it's just. Sometimes girls fall for guys that are really just in a in a place that is not really Christ centered. It's just life centered. And uh my dad was trying to focus in, so he was just on his best behavior and he uh, treated my mom with this great respect and my mom thought that it was because of Jesus and so they married and had uh, my older brother Duran who got an academic scholarship to Notre Dame who you've probably met uh mm-hmm. several times. And then they had their good looking and favorite son, you know. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? Uh, you know, Sean Edward Alexander. Oh, you know, he's he's pretty cool, pretty cool. And uh, um, but it wasn't long until my dad actually got into his flesh. He was unsaved, and so he uh, began to run around and do his things. And uh, and separation and divorce was the the future of that. But my mom, uh, she never said one bad thing about my father. She was always the person that said, uh, you know, uh, you can ask your dad, or you can wait till you get older and ask where it can make a little more sense. And she. Uh, she never um, harked negatively about him, about marriage, about people. She just kind of made everything be about um, relationship. Everything was about 
getting to uh, understand that uh, we're flawed individuals that uh, need, need a savior. And uh, I remember waking up in the morning and seeing my mom read on our two bedroom uh, apartment balcony. I'd see her reading scriptures and I saw her giving, you know, even I remember uh, times where our, our electric bill, um, you know, the, the power went off and, and I knew that like literally the week before she'd given a, an auntie uh, some money to pay for her food and bills and things like that. And then our power went off and I just thought, huh, you know, so it was, it was different, but my mom, uh, she was just amazing at making things about the relationship with Christ and relationship with people, loving God and loving people and not just being good at following rules. And I tell you, uh, it kind of rolled into Easter Sunday. I was probably about 10 years old and, uh, my mom was just so smooth with how she did everything. Even, uh, even playing sports, you know, my older brother and, uh, and my, my best friends, they all came in one day. We were, we were more eight, eight years old then. This is how football came in. And they all wanted to go play football. And, and Brock, you know me. They was like, I said, what do y'all do? Man, we just run every day. I was like, y'all run? They're like, every day. Yeah, I'm never going to play football. You know, I don't, I don't know what y'all do. And, you know, uh, I, I was the guy that, you know, I, I was good watching cartoons. You know what I mean? And, you know, and seven, you know, had old, my mom's younger sisters. They were aunts. You know, they'd watch soap operas. Hey, I knew all about One Life to Live. I was cool with that, you know? <laughs> you know? And literally, you know, my friends come back and Big Ray shows up. Oh, dude, we got equipment, man. We hitting people now. We hitting. I said, so what do y'all do now? And he's like, so you run and now you hit people. Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. You know, y'all can uh, y'all kind of go do that. Just tell me how it goes. I'll show up at the game every now and then. And, and my mom, she said, you know, if you uh, if you want, um, if you play, I will get everybody together and everybody can come to the apartment. We'll have like a little pizza party after every game. Mm. And you already know pizza, Doritos. Yep. I'm like, you know, this I can run for some Doritos now, you know. And so, and so, literally, I I uh, I started playing football and and it was good. And so. You know, and then you get to that age in eight, nine, ten. That's when you want to start having sleepovers. And so she said, "Yeah, hey, everybody, it might sleep over after the game on Saturday, but everybody has to go to church on Sunday morning." And you know, and so my mom was just really smooth with that because I remember times where we'd all be driving to church, and one of her sisters would call, and we'd drive past the church, and we'd go to a park, and we'd be eating pizza and this and that, and uh, and it would just be fun, and it was unreligious, but it was full of love for God, full of obedience, and. And so here we get to 10 years old Easter Sunday and I'm there and a bunch of my friends were there. And it was the first time I saw like grown men crying at church. And uh, I just saw that. And, and, you know, and then the one lady, you know, my church was my church was old school, Brock, you know, the organ, dun, 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 you know, mm-hmm. and uh, pastor walking on the moon, walking down the aisles. You know, the Lord is good. I, I went to that church. You know what I mean? So when they, it's real. It's real in Cincinnati. It was real. And so. um but when I saw those guys crying, I, I asked my mom, I said, hey, what, what's going on? What's, why are they crying? You know, and she said, uh, some I'll never forget. She said, everybody's going through something, coming out of something or preparing for something. And they've all figured out the answer is Jesus. And that was the first time I, I said to her, I said, mom, I want to know who Jesus is. I need to know that guy. And I said my first prayer, you know, just on my own. I said, Lord, I don't know much, but I know how to be obedient. So if you tell me what it is you want, I'll do it. And I was just on that path, you know, I, w- I was just really set apart. And I feel like God just touched me. I was I was a dream. I'd have dreams and visions, you know, Brock, by the time we got to high school, I could be like, hey, so do you know? And my friends would be like, how do you know that? I met this girl, you know, like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I had this dream and her name popped up. And, and um, you know, my I remember Duran, would, he'd have his buddies come over and they'd be playing video games. He said, hey, y'all know, Sean, like, really has this gift with God. Like, 
he can dream stuff that can happen. And he's like, yeah, Sean, tell him what some songs on radio. And I'm like, no, it's not like that. He goes, no, no, just whatever pops in your mind. And I would tell him, he'd turn on radio, it'd, it'd be on. You know, so I was, I was really, I was touched by God. He, I remember him turning the station, get watching, still do it. What's the next song? And I'd be like, oh, it's like a country song. I don't even know the words. And I'd tell him, he'd be like, he turned on and be that. And, uh, and I was just really touched. So like my intimacy, my connection with the Lord was just real. Was there ever a hole uh, for dad? Was there yeah. ever a, at what age did that divorce happen, that separation so, happen? So, yeah, and so all that is happening all at the same time. And so I feel like um, I got, like, speed bumped over it. And so I later on have to come back and go get some of those issues healed. The biggest thing when, when most kids, when their parents are divorced, is just rejection. And so people take rejection, and they take them in different ways. You know, some people become super rebellious and they just like, whatever you say, yes, I'm going to say no. And then some people become super closed off. So they're just like, I don't trust anybody. And but me being the youngest son, I was one that was always wanted to be the one that could make my mom feel better. And so I took it as in if I thought that um, I could help somebody, then I would take that and almost could be manipulated into it. You know, and so and so those are some of the things that I had to walk through as I've matured, just be like, okay, well, why have somebody calls? Do I feel like I need to say yes, no matter what? So you already know when cell phones came in the case, which we didn't have when we were in high school. Yeah. <laughs> that means one of us is old Brock, but anyway, so it might be both of us. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, it used to be like little things, like if somebody called, I'd feel like I had to answer the phone. And so now, you know, I can have a phone and put it down somewhere and not even pay attention to it. Well, it's just getting over mm-hmm. those rejection issues, not wanting anybody to feel like they're not important or that not valued what did mama say you're either i like that you're either going through something you're preparing for something or you just came out of something but the answer is jesus so in those years as you turned at 10 and that yeah. was your connection and in some ways your revelation so at that point at 10 were you coming out of some of that hurt in the no, home it were was you running it was all it was all just there but i just knew that there was going to be a situations in life that i had an answer to and, uh, you know, at 10, you know, things are still going and moving and, you, you know, you just don't know what's happening, really. And so uh, right after that, our family goes big family, uh, big church trip to uh, to Orlando, Florida, and uh, go see uh, Mickey Mouse. I remember seeing a lady in our church that was a big influential person in our church having relations with somebody else that was not a marriage thing. And I remember walking by the, the room and I saw the guy. And I saw her and I just kind of locked eyes with her. And I was like, oh, and then people always ask me, it's like, well, man, didn't that make you want to question church, question Jesus? And I was just so thankful because now it made me actually think that maybe they didn't have a connection with God. And so I was one of those people that from a young age just made everything really personal. You know, like if I'm doing anything that's ungodly, anything that's dirt, I'm looking God in the face and saying, I'm choosing something over you, God. And I have to deal with those, you know. Yeah. And so that's how it was. And so high school was very interesting and very fun, you know, um, you know, going through my junior year and I'm becoming the guy and, uh, and sports illustrators have me on their, their things. You know, my aunt would always say, Hey, Sean, you know, when you're talking, people are listening and they're watching. Do you give God the glory for that? And I said, well, I don't know how you do that. And she said, well, just tell people about how God's the one that gave you that. And so, uh, and so, you know, with my, my youthful excitement at 15 years old and turning 16, I would, after the game were over, I remember we played and I uh, scored four touchdowns in the game. And they were like, oh, yeah, Sean, how you doing? I was like, oh, yeah, hey, I want to thank God before we start. And I just kind of got on to, mm-hmm. to all that. And it's so cute when I see guys do that now because it's it's a start. 
You know what I mean? But there was really no substance to it. You know what I mean? And so then uh, I see Mon after the game. She said, yeah, did you tell, tell people that God gets the glory? I said, yes, ma'am, I did. She said, okay, well, hey, do it again next week and watch what happens. And I scored five touchdowns the next week. And uh, I come there and I'm just like, oh, man, this was really cool. And I said, hey, hey, I really want to tell you all. God's doing something wonderful with me right here. So I want to thank him for the guests. Okay, ask your questions, you know, and yeah. they go to questions a little bit stronger. You know what I mean? One is, one is gentle. Mine comes up to me, Sean, great game. Five touchdowns. I've never seen that before. Hey, well, if you keep on doing that, God's going to do something even greater. And so the next week we play and I score seven touchdowns, <laughs> you know, and I get there and they're. And I'm I'm so excited now. I'm walking over there, and they're like, you know, uh, you know, Sean, what do you guys say about your great game? And here's me. God's the man. <laughs> well, well, no, he's God. Well, no, y'all know what I mean. Like he's <laughs> awesome. And I tell them the story about my aunt challenging me, and uh, yeah. and it was just cool. Like God would just give me those little moments just to know that I'm His, you know, and and with you know, college being around and going on recruiting trips and meeting all these new people, you know. Um, knowing that I could say no to a lot of the the mess that we both saw and was invited to partake of, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, oh, I'm just this Christian guy and I want to say no. It was just like, man, like I know some of the stuff that's going on and God's too cool for me to like leave this. How do you navigate that gift then, Sean, is you do have this gift to play. And that's yeah. one thing I always loved about you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> From the minute you were a rookie and we'd driving over to preseason games. Yeah, worshiping. <laughs> yeah, worshiping, the audience of one. And football was awesome and you loved it, but it was never consuming. It was never your identity. It was always treated as a gift. It was like a gift that God gave you. Yeah. You were going to eat your Doritos. You are going to eat your pizza. Yeah. You were going to play football. And it was like, that's just one of the gifts that he's given me. So how do you then navigate to the University of Alabama? And why the Crimson Tide oh, in that moment? Man, so yeah, so Alabama was 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 sweet because, you know, just like be like in high school, like I know I'm I know how to be connected with God, but I never knew how to study the Bible, and so this is like one of the things I love about Alabama. Like you you walk in there and it's from day one. It's like, hey, Sean, at this school, you will have every opportunity to be everything you want to be. If you want to be a great football player, you're gonna have the best coaches. If you want to be a great student, we're gonna get the greatest teachers and tutors for you to just bust your tail. You'll graduate if you really want it. But one of the things that's not known is they were like, if you love Jesus and you want to grow, there's men on staff that are paid to come and disciple you. Mm. And it started back like in the '60s with Bear Bryant. You know, Bear Bryant. You know, they all big time coach, best coach ever, you know, um, Bear Bryant walked into the locker room and, uh, into his office and, uh, he was talking to Gene Stallings, who was my coach when I was at Bama. And Gene told me the story. He said, uh, Hey, Beebs, that was Gene's nickname. Uh, Bear said, Beebs, one of the worst things that's ever happened in my football program is this fellowship of Christian athletes. He said, man, I come in the locker room. You got these guys crying, crying in the locker room, hugging each other we ain't going to win a game with these soft guys like this. And he used some other words. The season goes by and Bear wins his second national championship. <laughs> Beavis walks in smiling. You know, Gene loved the Lord. And he said, he said, hey, coach, how you feeling? He says, I tell you what, one of the best things ever happened in our program is during fellowship of Christian athletes. <laughs> says, I don't know if these guys even had the talent to win, but they just wouldn't let each other down. So I've never seen anything like this. And um, and so he implemented programs and, and people to come in and 
their job was just to disciple people that love the Lord. And so it's common now. I mean, clearly across Lee, you have chaplains and people, but Alabama been doing it for a long time and, uh, and they knew how to get, you know, some guys depending on where they were raised, you know, the South is still the South. They have black guys for black guys and white guys for white guys and Baptist and Protestant and Catholic. And, you know, but the thing is, it was really cool is because people were really growing in their own walk with the Lord. And so, when I got there, it was it was no different, and I had, I saw all Americans loving Jesus, and I just thought, oh wow, you know, I was thinking it was going to be hard to watch these super talented guys not sleep with every girl on campus and not drink every bottle that was there, but and I mean, some of that was going on, like don't get me wrong, you know, it ain't Saint Bama, but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but there was some superstars that are that are going in there, and it's still the way now. Amari Cooper and and uh, there's just a bunch of guys um, that they they you know C.J. Mosley they they love the Lord, and you know uh, uh, Jonathan Allen. These are guys current that they're in the same system that that I was in in the '90s. That these guys were back in started from back then, and and it was it was really really beautiful. And I, and I tell you how I how I got to start learning how to study the Bible. Uh, guys were coming around and they were always open to challenge each other. And uh, they said, Sean, I noticed you, uh, you ain't doing dirt. You love God. You show up at the events, but you don't ever really read the Bible. How you grow? And I was like, well, I kind of read like on Sunday, whenever I hear the pastor speak, and I was like, well, you know, that's good. And, and, uh, and when I do said, you know, Sean, every day you're feeding yourself. Um, if you read the Bible one day a week, you're either feeding yourself that or you're feeding yourself everything that the world has. You know, so there's radio, there's TV, there's friends talking, there's people that don't know anything. Um, well, what are you doing? You're feeding yourself the world six days and you're only feeding yourself Jesus one day. And so uh, I said, man, I never thought of it like that. Well, the next week, you know, I went to FCA. It was on Wednesday night and I said, ha, two, and God's stronger than everything else, you know. And so he started challenging me like about memorizing scriptures. Mm-hmm. And uh and I said, Oh, I've never I've never done that before, you know, only knew John three sixteen for God so loved the way. He's like, everybody knows that one. Okay, Sean, you know. He says, Well, why don't you get some some things in, in uh the Bible that you could actually link to your own life? And uh I said, oh, Okay, so I said, So the next week we show up and he says, Hey, what do you what do you got? I said, Nothing. <laughs> I said, I don't even know where to start, you know, and so, you know, and he says, well, why don't you just read everything with 37 in it? That's been your number in high school. It's your number here at Bama. I said, oh, okay, cool. That's what I'll do. And so, so I started reading everything with 37. You know, some stuff was awesome. John 1, uh, 37 for nothing is impossible with God. And I'm like, wow, you know, and there's some just great 37 stuff. But then there's some stuff you just read 37. Somebody begot somebody. I was like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know. They begotten and everything. So, uh, um, and so they kind of started explaining to me how to read things in content. And they start explaining to me like how how the Bible is this amazing love letter, and it's all these stories, and it's a, what a plot line is, and and uh, a plot line is you know that's there's a character, and then there's action, and there's the flaw, and then there's there's something that happens in this person's life that either heightens the flaw, but lets them know that there's a way out, there needs of a savior, and then and then the savior is Jesus. So as I'm like studying and learning like what these things are, I was like, oh my goodness, and you know, just a side note, like everybody that's listening. Most people, when it comes to the things of God, they'll be like, ooh, don't drink. Well, well, yeah, or don't, don't sleep around with somebody you're not married. You know, those are all just a piece of the plot line. Like, there's a greater story to be told that if you actually understand the whole story, 
you would understand that there's some things that are going to damage from the great ending that God has for your life. And so I always try to encourage people, um, don't get into the don'ts and do's, but understand the whole plot line. So then the don'ts and do's actually make sense. And there's this great relationship you can have with God that's going to walk you through where when your identity is with him, then don'ts and do's become just action of who you are and not because you're holding your breath trying to do something right or not do something wrong. And so these guys, they did great in explaining these things to me. And I just fully believed, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, I remember my mom used to write on the, uh, on our little refrigerator at our little two-bedroom apartment, I know I'm somebody because God don't make junk. I just believed it. You know what I mean? I'd read, you're an ambassador for Christ. I believed it. You know what I mean? So there was there was nothing that football, um, the more I read scriptures, there was nothing that football, goods or bads, touchdowns, a lot are, are none. It couldn't really throw me off. Like there was always this, okay, God, like whatever this is, you got it. And so I would, uh, I would just, all right, I'm going to keep on reading. And so I, I finally found like my life verse, Psalms 37, 4, and I write it on everything. And, and people usually hear it and they kind of get confused about, man, okay, well, what is it? And, uh, and, uh, so when I finally said, this is it, uh, we were getting ready to play LSU my, my, my freshman year at Bama. And, uh, and that week it was so good spiritually but it was probably the worst week of practice I've ever had in my life, especially at Alabama, because, you know, the defense was always so good. And I always just I had I just came with a chip on my shoulder like, oh, you're probably not that good. We can't believe you gave you a scholarship. So the guys talking, you're from Kentucky. Who'd you play against? You know, and so I would just, you know, knew I had talent, but still the fight in me was like, I'm going to murder you guys every day. You know, and so if you want to talk about the best weeks of practice, just go watch, <laughs> go watch freshman film. You know, I would try to eat those guys every day. And um and but that week, you know, I would be on some of it would be down with the defense and some I'd be up there with the offense. And I was a third running back. And and so, um, you know, and so I would I was just having a terrible time with the real offense. And so they were just like by Tuesday, they're like, just go down. I'm you know, toss right. I'd run left. You know, it's in me, Brock. It's in me, you know, and just not even focus, you know. And and I tell you, uh, they sent me down there to the field and um uh, and I was uh, I was modeling Kevin Falk, you know, which it's kind of kind of how we connected in high school. You know, uh, when they did the ESPN Galactic Sports, they did a story of of a quarterback from Washington named Brock Hewitt, mm. a running back from Louisiana, Kevin Falk, me, and there was this uh, wide receiver from West Virginia that they were they were saying was going to be our world, which was Randy Moss. So it was it was kind of cool, like seeing all of us kind of grow together and, and honestly a little sidebar this is probably why Alabama keeps on doing good because you know it probably been hard to pull you from UW right but if we all had cell phones we we're all going to the same games we might have had a shot at you you know <laughs> you know we one quarterback from national championship Brock come on now yeah. you, know? <laughs> you know but this is what's going on with Alabama right now but um I tell you um we got ready for the LSU trip and uh, we're getting on the plane and some of the believers you know they're all excited. It's, you know the winner's going to be in the SEC championship. Really, same story that's always a, is. And uh, our backup quarterback JD says, "Yeah, man, they was telling me you got your your verse." I said, "Oh yeah, Psalms thirty-seven four. But we had these awesome D linemen, you know, and uh, they were ready to sit down on the plane. And so we're standing up in the aisle, and they're like, "Hey, boys, sit down." And I was like, "Look, you ain't gonna tell me what to do. I just happen to know I need to go sit down right now." <laughs> and so I I sit down. I said, "I'll tell y'all about it later." And we we land and we. And we go into the uh, to the uh, meetings, and uh, then we go to the movies like we always do. And you know, I get my popcorn, my candy, and I fall asleep afterwards. And and uh, we head to our meeting, and um, 
I ran my coach Ivy Williams. Uh, you know, he coached at Detroit with Barry, and he went to Texas Tech and had uh, uh, Bam Moore. He had all these great running backs, and and he said, you know, Sean, you could be one of the best, but I don't see it. I don't know if you want it. You know, he'd say stuff like that to me all the time, and he would just rip in the guys. And and so we're sitting here going through the the schemes, and Montoya, who was the fourth back, says, "Hey, Sean." You notice how coach ain't even looking in our direction? You know, we used to sit one, two, RB1 and RB2. The two fullbacks were in the middle, and then three and four would be on the other side. And he says, he ain't even looking at us. So he's whispering this to me. And I look over, and I said, man, we're okay, we're okay. So I raised the coach. I said, hey, coach, um, you know, I went to the other field, but this is when whenever we run the motion, they're, they're going to run the guy motion and blitz the side, right? And he looked at me and said, don't even worry about it. So I looked over at Montoya and was like, dude, we ain't playing. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, we're not playing this week. And he's like, I know. So we go up to our room and he's like, man, it's a bummer. ESPN, night game, you know, everybody's going to be watching and we ain't even playing. And so Montoya, like Montoya, well, he was a bigger jokester than I was. And so he's like, well, man, good thing I brought my video thing. And so we started playing, you know, college basketball, you know. And so he was banned when I was Kentucky. And of course we mopped him and then he turned to Duke and we're playing video games and buzzer shots and winning all night and we're just the coach comes and knocks on the door at midnight for room check and he says uh hey uh boys i need everybody to get ready for bed and uh you know and my mind's always thinking hey you know coach we're not gonna play we know that's es lsu espn night game you're not gonna put us in the game and everybody knows i want to hear that sean you never know Alabama, Alabama's always pulled someone off the bench and has the iconic story. I wanted to hear that so I could, like, you know, go to sleep. He looked at me and Montoya and was like, well, don't keep the players up. <laughs> yeah, people still laugh about that. That still hurt my feelings, you know. So. And so uh, so Montoya and I played to about 3, 4 o'clock in the morning playing video games and eating, drinking Gatorade, eating candy bars. And, and uh, our goal was, you know, I always got a plan in my head. So the plan was – we just, we, you know, games at night, so we'll just sleep in between meetings. And Gene Stone was always like, everybody up at seven, you know, so we got up early and did little walkthroughs, and everybody's eating breakfast. And then you have a little walkthrough, and then, then you need, uh, do you take a nap or whatever, and then you go back. Well, during the nap time, all the guys were like, man, we know you got the video games, so they're now keeping us up playing video games, uh, you know, so we stayed up that whole time. And I'm just thinking, this is so terrible because i'm now miserable you know <laughs> so 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 here we are it's about four o'clock we're heading to the stadium and the last thing i remember was all right i want everybody quiet and focused on the game and i was just out i mean i slept for like 20 minutes heading to the stadium you know and i wake up and i see the lsu fans shaking the bus tiger bait tiger bait and we uh we get off the bus and uh, we see the big the big tiger that's sitting in front of our locker room. We're like, oh, okay, you know. And, uh, and so our guys are just quiet. Everybody's like ready. And Gene comes in. He's so stoic. I, I was blessed to have like three like stoic head coaches. You know that their 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 appearance alone made everybody grab everybody's attention. So I had Owen Houck when I was in high school, and he's one of the highest winning coaches in Kentucky. Then I had Gene Stallings at Bama. Then I get here and Mike Hungry. He's the same way. Just he walked in the room and demanded like like his presence and um and so gene walks in and he's like you boys ready and everybody's like let's go you know we come out the tunnel i said montoya i said i'm even playing i'm even gonna put on my new cleats i'm gonna put on these little slipper cleats they mean you know the cleats that you only have to tie up you just slide them on and off and 
I didn't even put on like the under pre shoulder pads. I'm putting half and half the stuff on because I'm like, well, we ain't going to play. So, you know, so I said, well, look, let's go in there. We're going to get the crowd hype. You know, we're going to be, we're going to be the, we're going to be the bad guys in this, in this town. And we're coming there and, you know, like freshmen do, you know, you point at the other team. Yeah. You know, we pounding the chest and, and, uh, you know, and that game starts and I'm just staying on the sideline. And literally, I was about, I was telling my to us, like, we're really going to be bench warmers. Why? Because we're going to sit down when this game's going on. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so uh, so the game starts and it's 0-0 the first quarter. And it's typical Alabama LSU. And we're just hammering each other, like big hits. And, uh, and uh, we get to the second quarter and we're driving and we get to about the uh, 17-yard line. And uh, Coach... Uh, we call timeout. And so it's, you know, and they're like, hey, LSU's known for these goal line stands. You know what I mean? Let's, let's power run, at least get a field goal. We got the number one defense in the country. If we get out here three to nothing, we're okay. You know, we already were thinking, like, this could be that kind of game. Well, coach goes out there and uh, call a play, call power to the left. There's a power run, pulling the guard. And and uh, literally, I just thought, wow, okay, man, okay, we're going to be all right. We're going to probably beat these guys three to nothing because we probably ain't going to score, you know. And, uh, they say ready break. They get up to the line of scrimmage and uh, they get back in the huddle and uh, and because ESPN calls timeout, and they said Alexander, and I look over and I'm like, they say Alexander, and I like stand up next to the coach. He says, get out the way. So our backup's name was Curtis Alexander, and he goes running on the field, and I was like, you're gonna stop making fun of me right here, you know what I mean? And so so Curtis runs on the field, and uh, as he's on the field. They get back there, break the line, and ESPN calls another TV timeout, and they get back in the huddle again. And so the runner, Ivy's either the runner because he's like, hey, y'all running to the left. Curtis got that broken left hand. And he's like, I don't feel good about this. I'm for good. And so he's just thinking about it over and over and over again. He just looks over and says, Sean, go in the game. Go in the game. Just hold on to the football. I was like, all right. So they run me out on the field. And so we just, like, switch at the last second. I know it's a power to the left. I run. I bounce outside cornerback i gave him a shimmy he falls down and they hit me and i twist toe tippy toe down the sideline fall in the end zone we're up seven to nothing one carry one touchdown 17 yards and then we go into halftime and everybody's like what just happened <laughs> my toy is like this is so disgusting i'm so mad at you right now you know and uh and so you know so it's really crazy because you know we go in there and they're giving their talks and everybody meets in their little groups and he's telling the talking to Curtis Alexander and Dennis about what they need to do and blitz pickups and talking to the fullback about how they're going to do the rest of the game. And, hey, we're up 7 up, boys. This is going to be a grinder. Here we go. And uh, he looks over me and says, hey, Sean, good run. I looked over my toy. I was like, you see, I'm running things now. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, now thinking, of course, in my mind, I thought, should I put on those cleats? Yeah. I probably should change cleats because this doesn't make sense. Like, I'm wearing high tops. You know what I mean? Like, well, we go back out there. And, of course, I keep the high tops on because I know I'm not getting back in. And literally, um, the craziest thing happens. Dennis runs and he gets hit. The ball shoots up out of the air and he falls like like the Apollo Creed Rocky. Yeah, boom, he falls like that. And we're all like, oh, is he hurt? You know? And so he says, Alexander. And I'm thinking to myself, you ain't tricking me twice. So I'm not even looking. He's like, Sean, I'm talking to you. And my heart fell out my body as I was running on the field because it wasn't in my chest when I got out there. And they were like, oh, my God. I was like, I'm in the game, you know. And and uh, here we are on the uh, – we must have been about the 26-yard line. And uh, they handed me the ball, and I run through the hole. And, 
And uh, the safety, I kind of slide to the left, and the safety comes up to hit me, and the other safety comes, and they both miss me, and they hit each other. And I kind of look up, and I'm like, holy cow, 76 yards for a touchdown. So now I've got two carries and two touchdowns, you know. And uh, coach is like, hey, Sean, stay in. I'm like, good, coach, and let's do this, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, and next thing you know, we we're driving, and I've probably got about five carries, and and uh, it's 31, and we're about on the 20. They had punned us in, and John Causey was our cap. He says, hey, Kentuck, we're up 14 to nothing. Ain't no one scoring 14 on us. And he's like, let's just get this drive. We're going to milk the third quarter, and we're out of here. We're, we're going to the SEC championship, you know. And I was like, all right. He said, even if you got to close your eyes, hit this hole and get the first down. I was like, I got you. I ran as hard as I could into that hole, closed my eyes, and next thing I know, when I opened up, I was at the 50-yard line. 72-yard touchdown. So I've had like six carries. I've got two 70-yard touchdowns, 160-something yards, and three touchdowns in the game. And uh, they were like, stay in there. And I was like, holy cow, what is happening? So, So I finished the game. 20 carries, 291 yards, and four touchdowns. And so the 291 is still a school record. And so he, he took me out in the fourth quarter, and on the 20th carry, they called timeout, and everybody, all our fans are going nuts because now we're up like 26 to nothing, and we missed a couple field goals. And and, uh, and uh, I come over to the sideline, and Chad Goss, Chad was about 5'8", white kid. You know, every now and then you get the white receiver that you're like, you're not really that fast. You ain't tall. How are you making plays like that? You make one-handed grabs and things like that. And, and everybody say, oh, that's Chad. He just loves Jesus. And, we're like, and that was like the end for him. You know, in the South, you can just be like, oh, you love you. And everybody be like, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> so, you know so, so Chad comes and picks me up off my feet. And I just thought the first thing was like, "Why, little white boy, how you pick me up off your feet like that? But anyway, so he puts me down. And, I, and, I, and it's really funny because when you watch the, the video, the game on TV, on ESPN, you can see, like, Chad and I, like, locking hands and going down to a knee because he said to me, he's like, this is amazing. And all the guys been telling me you've been reading your word for the first time. I said, yeah, you know this is bigger. This ain't about football. I said, yeah. He says, and you got a life verse. What is it? I said, oh, yeah, Psalms 37, 4. What's it say? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. He said, oh, any good? He said, that's you, right? I said, yeah, man, because, you know, it was one of those things like I didn't want to be like a football star. You know, Brock, you know, you know my story. You know, I, I just wanted to know like I was God. And so I'd always say stuff like, God, give me like situations and testimonies and stories where no one could say that Sean Alexander did this. This had to be God. Chad was like, yeah, he just did it to you, man. He just did it again. There's no way. We all know you only slept two hours against the number three defense in the country. This is God. And I was like, oh, my goodness, Lord, you keep doing this. You keep you keep picking me. You keep showing me. It was all it's about our relationship. And so through my life, it just constantly God just constantly shows me that I'm his and he's mine. And it's a beautiful, beautiful way to just never get caught up in like rules and laws of religion. But in this intimate relationship where God, I'll give you anything and I'll do anything for you. And I'll, I'll walk with you anywhere. And if you tell me, no, I'll, I'll say no with you. Sometimes I didn't want to, you know, <laughs> but I would do it because I would never want to give up that relationship I have with the Lord. And I call it like the dream team, you know, Brock, like if he would say like, Hey, I'm going to take LeBron and I'm going to take, I'm going to take a healthy Kobe and I'm going to take a, a healthy uh, Michael Jordan. 
and I'm gonna take uh, Brock and Sean. We'd be like, we're still winning. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> okay, well, you, you give me them three guys. Like, I felt like God was doing that. Like, mm-hmm. He would He would put me in situations where I'm totally unqualified. But I would be like, oh my God! But I'm on the dream team. Like, I'm, I'm with the Holy Spirit. I'm like one of cho- God's chosen ones. We're gonna win. Mm-hmm. Throughout Alabama, it was like that, and and uh, so I get to my sophomore year. And it's just awesome. And, uh, you know, and uh, of course, having a little bit of fame was just a new battle, you know, because, of course, when you have it in high school and, you know, going into restaurants and them all paying for for your food, you know, that was that was different, you know, especially being in a small town like Florence, you know, like, wait a minute. So I don't have to pay this fifteen dollars. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this is great, you know, but it being in Alabama was different. And there's just several times in life where God just says, hey. Uh, I'm going to take you through something just to let you know that you're still mine, even in the trial. So my, my sophomore year, I, I run, I get tackled, and I have this midfoot sprain, and and they would take me there. And I knew I couldn't walk or even run, and they would take me in there to x-ray it, and they would show no broke. No, nothing was broken. There was no broken bones, no nothing. And I'd be like, man, I, I can't move. And so all of a sudden, here comes all these rejection things that you got to walk through man, you're just uh, a freshman, you know, so it's a sophomore slumber. You're just a lucky freshman, you know, and you know what? You're from Kentucky. You probably never really been hit before. It was all these things. And like, you know, so then you start questioning, well, do I got it? Like, you know, like what's really going on here? And, and, uh, you know, why can I know all of a sudden not run, you know? And, uh, and, uh, and God gave me just a, uh, he gave me just a great scripture, uh, James one, two through four, consider pure joy when you face trials of any kind. For the test of your faith produces perseverance, but let perseverance finish its work, make you mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I was just like, oh, God, you're taking me to a place where you want me to not like anything. In other words, there's nothing I won't trust you with, even like this great glitzy glory. Like to be the prince of, of your little small town of Florence is awesome. But being the prince of Alabama football, you know, like it's a whole nother level, you know, like, you know. I like I always try to challenge all the young men now in, in pros in college. I'm like, you know, people will give you what they what they think is the best, you know. And so so if I'm with some godly men, they're going to pray for me. So if I'm with some some uh, um, ungodly men, they might give me a, a drink of alcohol or some drugs or whatever if with ungodly women. Well, we'll talk about that later. But anyway, so, you know, so at the end of the day, people are trying to give you their best. And, uh, and so it made me have to understand, like, God will let us walk through these great trials to be able to know that even with these great trials, these great temptations to not trust God, God's saying, I'm still giving you my best and I'm the king and I'm the one that's created everything. And it was just, it was just great for me. It was just beautiful. Like God just kept me. And, uh, and through my, uh, junior year, my senior year, just scriptures being around people, it was good. And then, uh, Senior year ends, and I played in the Orange Bowl, which is really exciting. Uh, you know, January 1st, 2000, you know, that's when everybody was talking about the world was going to end because, you know, they didn't know what clocks or banking systems or something like that. And it was it was nuts. All I knew was we was playing Michigan at, at 6 o'clock that night, and I thought, well, you know, I don't know what y'all going to do, but we're going to play against these Wolverines, you know. And so, you know, we get ready to, uh, to play against the Michigan Wolverines, and uh, it's really cool because this year – in the Orange Bowl, I'm going to be inducted to the uh, Orange Bowl Hall of Fame, like December 29th. And it's it's really cool. It came all off of this game. Mm. And I just went nuts in that game. So Terrell Austin, who was defense coordinator at, here in Seattle, he was a defense coordinator at Michigan. So when he came in, I was like, hey, I remember you, you know. <laughs> 
and so uh so just be a little practical jokes are like I always was uh with him so just giving him some mess but but that game it was awesome I had a uh, 160 something yards and three touchdowns and the game was back and forth we was up 14 nothing then we were tied 14 14 and it was weird I'd break these runs and then this quarterback that no one ever heard of was just going off and I was like who is this guy we even stuck I don't even remember talking about this guy and um so then uh, we uh, we get in there and we go up twenty eight fourteen in the second half and I break a long fifty yarder for third and one and and then this quarterback brings them back in and we're tied and we're going to overtime and they threw a touchdown pass in overtime and kicked the extra point and we uh, did a play action pass and we throw a touchdown and we're coming to the sideline and how overtime works you know the other team is going to have the ball first so I walk over and I said hey who's going to be our quarterback and all of a sudden I saw the Michigan fans just erupt with cheer. And I look over at the thing, and we missed the extra point. Uh, so we, that's how we lost. That's how my senior year ended uh, with Bama. Uh, we lost in the Orange Bowl, uh, missing the extra point. And so we go to the thing, we shake hands, and I tell the quarterback, I said, hey, dude, no one knows this, but there's a few times in my life where I've just been in a zone, and we've been beat. And I'm just telling you, like, dude, you're going to be awesome, man. So good luck in the pros. He's like, man, thank you. And it seems so genuine and humble. I was like, I'm going to keep my eye on this guy. Tom Brady. <laughs> What's your name again? Tom Brady. I'm going to remember you, you know. <laughs> so, so Tom and I, we text each other all the time, and I send him emails all throughout, just playing seeds, you know what I mean? Just loving on that, that little joker, you know, because he turned out to be pretty good. Yeah, you know? yeah, he was right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, and he's also found a found of you somehow because I ain't getting hit no more, and he's yeah. still out there. I'm like – Still doing it. Yeah. Hey, Sean, is there um, – this is amazing. I think we could go like eight hours. We could. Is there a story professionally? And then I would love to obviously walk just to the end here personally. But when I hear this, is anybody listening to it, of, man, this gift that you were given, the humility to understand it wasn't yours, that it's his. Was there an experience in a decade in the NFL that points so clearly to that? where I know that man wants to give me the praise. I know the world wants to put this on me, but it was so clearly from the Lord. Yeah, you know, I can. You know, it's wild. You know, of course, you know, the the, the five years that I had, that was just 15 touchdowns all those years. And, you know, those last two were 20 and 28. It, those were just magical. And the MVP season which is magical. I, I was just so locked in and so in tune to God and prayer. I feel like I was floating through that whole year. But it was really the next two years. So even after that season ended, you know, God had already told Valerie, my beautiful wife, and that's just an amazing, fun story where, you know, instead of me getting drafted by the Giants, which everybody thought I was going with the 10th pick, um, I come to Seattle, you know what I mean? So thank God they traded Joy Galloway away, you know? <laughs> and so and so, so all these things of just coming there and just maturing in my walk. But really, it was how I left Seattle that God let me know. It was painful, but it, God let me know that it was still a part of his plan, you know? You know, I break my wrist the first game of the season, and uh, and instead of me just sitting down and having surgery, I'm thinking we've been to playoffs, you know, four years in a row. We've been to Super Bowl. We we went Super Bowl uh, was three years. Uh, then the next year we lost to the Bears in overtime, and I thought we could be there. So I'm thinking we can go do this again, you know. And I break my wrist, and I knew I couldn't carry the ball, so I had to carry basically uh, with one arm. And and still in my prayer closet, God, He asked me like three just vivid questions back to back to back and it just messed me up because you know it's still just the, the the cheer of man it's just so hard to to uh to not 
pushed to the side. All of a sudden, you want that cheer, you know? Um, the the fame and fortune of just life, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's hard to pull at you, even though you're trying your best. And I remember God saying to me, he said, uh, he said, Sean, you know, and by this time, I'd probably scored like 100 touchdowns already. So they were like, Sean, um, what if I took your touchdowns from you? Would you still love me? And I was like, God. It's your boy here. You know what I mean? You got to ask me that question. I don't need no score, no touchdowns. And I tell you what, we uh, we get down the field, open and drive, and, you know, I've got this broken wrist, and it's broken every week. You know what I mean? You know how the stuff is. When you break something, it's just – and so we realign it, and I'd break it, like, first series of every game, and I'd have to just play with it, and we try to line it back up in the, the halftime, and it would just – you know, it was the most pain I'd ever been in my life. And I um, also hurt my knee earlier, and so, so I'm just fighting to even be on the field. And we drive down there, down the field. And, of course, we're just first and going to one. You know what I mean? I'm like, cool, God. You know what? I love touchdowns. It's high school, college. We're still doing the pros. Thank you, God. I'm praising God already. And Matt gets in there and he calls like a play. Fake Deshaun, throw to the third string tight end. Okay, God. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Third string tight end. Okay, cool. We're up 7 nothing. Well, we throw the ball and big play Babs, I think, picks it off, runs it to the one. I'm like, whoo, okay, God, see, yeah, pass that test. And Matt says, hey, uh, yeah, so we're going to flip it over. Same play we just ran. Fake Deshaun, throw to the third string, tight end to the right. What? And now I'm mad. Like, I remember just being so upset. I'm coming to the sideline, and, you know, we're up 14 nothing, and I'm mad. And I'm, like, not even giving people high fives on the sideline. And I thought to myself, Man, I should be mad. They should be giving me the ball, you know. And you know, and I look what I I deserve. Give me, give me. My name is Jimmy, you know. I had to change my name for a second, Brock. And I sit down, and I remember like the bong that goes off when we score. I looked up, and it was almost like Peter the Rusko Crow. I was like, "Holy cow! I'm questioning you over some touchdowns. This is not all that you've done for me. I'm upset with touchdowns." I was like, "Okay, God, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm just gonna play the game." Here we go, you know? And so we, we go out there and we and we play. And the next week was when I get hit on my knee again. And I remember God saying right before, he's like, well, what if I took the game from you? And I was just more prepared for that. And I was like, God, you can take the touchdown. You take, if it's time for me to be done. And I get hit on the knee again. And I'm like, all right, God, yep, hey, I'm out. So, and that was when I, my kneecap, I got hit and the guys grabbed me and my kneecap slid out. And everybody thought it was torn stuff. But when I fell on the ground, it all slid back in place. So it was just really swollen and everything was loose. So, and so, you know, so still today, still loose, but, uh, <laughs> but, but I had to sit out for about, about three weeks. And, uh, and I was like, okay, God, Hey, you know what? I'm gonna pass this test. Well, I come back and we're, we know we got about, we've got to win three of the last four games. And, uh, here we are playing. And God says to me, all right, well, what if I took the fans from you? And I, I laughed at God, Brock. I'm just going to be honest. I was like, come on, God, like, what are you talking about? Like, We've been to playoffs three times. We won divisions three times before I got here. We've won five in a row now, you know. It's like, that's just not, you know, like they love me here, you know. So, of course, like there's a little message of that praise from man. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like their favorite. Praise. Unless I'm, let's not change my name to Heward. I'm like their favorite. Like, this is never going to happen. Like, you know, it's like, so God, what are you going to do to make the fans turn on me? And literally, I remember um, running the ball and I don't know who he played against. And the guy just blitzed the hole and he just smacked me the first play of the game. And then, uh, and of course, I still got the uh, the cast in my my left hand, so I'm carrying them on my right hand. And we tried to make a run, and I ran, and I was trying to bounce outside, and I kind of slipped, and you know, cutting on the wrong foot, and that tackled me. So I had like two carries and like negative two yards, 
And then I remember, uh, I remember getting into the huddle and, and I heard boo. And Bobby Ingram says, are they booing you? I mean, are, I mean us, are they booing us? And I was like, Bobby, you're being a good friend, but they're booing me. And he was like, this is crazy. And I remember going to the sideline and us throwing the ball and then coming back out and then, um, and then running and I got a first down and everybody cheered. And then the next play I ran the ball and it was like getting to the line of scrimmage and they were booing. And I came over to the sideline and Mike's like, what's happening? He's like, I, I would use you to, to, to rally the crowd. I just like screwing my paypon up. And I was like, Mike, I don't know what's happening. Like they're booing. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I just remember God was like, and it was just in my mind the whole time. Can I take the fans from you? And I was like, all right, God, like, Hey, if I got to go through this the rest of the year, I'm yours. And, uh, and it was just one of those moments where I just, <clears throat> I just won't forget, like, God, this is a gift. It is all for you. I'm not going to let myself question you or whatever trial or whatever you have for me. I am yours and you're mine. And that rest of the year, it was terrible, you know? And so once again, cause I'm going off all the rejection issues from dad. And so I'm having to fix all these the people I love are leaving me, you know? And uh, and I really feel like it was the setup for me to actually leave, you know, because, you know, the new gym comes in and he doesn't like Coach Homer. So he's like, I'm getting rid of you and all your guys. I'm thinking he's talking about coaching staff, you know, <laughs> yeah. he was talking about Sean Alexander. And so next thing you know, I'm I'm not even uh, going to be on the team. And so God was just setting me up for this thing. And I still think to this day, like, God, you're so perfect because I would have never left Seattle and I would have never been able to to be used by you in Seattle and how the beautiful children, you know, my wife and I, we have 10 kids now and, and, uh, one of them's in heaven. So we have nine living and, and, um, and we have a beautiful people that we impact in that little small town, a little farm town. We have a 15 acre farm and, and we're just loving on those people there. And I get to go still travel. I'm so close to Bama, so close to New York, so close to everywhere over there that, um, God can use me to touch so many lives and I would have never left Seattle. Like I know, I would have never left Seattle if, if the crowd didn't do that. If God didn't have to show me, like I need you somewhere, and you will put your foot down and not leave if I if I just ask you. Mm-hmm. And so He had to set the table from crowd booing to Coach Hungerin and me and all of us getting fired, and and uh, then coming out to the Redskins to babysit Clint Portis with Jim Soren. That whole thing was just crazy, and me getting to be around politicians and. And Obama to Trump, it's just been nuts, the stuff and lives that I get to tell. But at the end of the day, like those last games and the few things are, it just let me know, like God said, I've got you. Can you be mine fully, fully engaged, fully on purpose all the time? I'm thankful for it. Last thing here, bro. How do you, this is uh, the intersection, right? This is above and beyond the intersection of faith and sports. And you've laid it out beautifully in your life. How do you then encourage, be it your kids, mm-hmm. be it those young athletes that uh, aspire to be you, uh, to use the gift they've given? How do you and how would you encourage someone to really intersect their faith in sports? Yeah, you know, so personally, I would just always say, like, you know, like, you know, let's get the identity set. You know what I mean? Understand, like, the gospel. God, who is God, the creator of the world? Who is, what did he do? He created everything. Um, who is man, his highest creation, we have dominion, we have power. And then what does man do? And really, the doing of that is all about who you are. So when you walk around like you're, uh, you're a son of the king, you can walk around like a prince. And so my boys know that they don't have to ask 
to come in the house when they're outside. They just come inside because that's who they are. So their identity marks their doing, not because they scored touchdowns or because they hit the game-winning jump shot or because of that. So get their identity set. This is what the true gospel says. The gospel gives you an identity and know that everything's going to flow off that identity. And so when you know that you're a child of God and you're chasing Jesus, perfection is not God's goal for you because you're going to realize <laughs> you kind of suck at being a Christian. You know what I mean? But when you actually know that I'm chosen by God and you lap everything through that, and you say, hey, there's some things that the royal family, we just don't do because we're the royal family, not because I'm trying to behave. It helps you out with all parts of life. And uh, and so it's really cool is because, you know, I, I was telling you earlier off the cam- off the off the camera about about the Sean Alexander war. So, you know, starting this year, the college football freshman player of the year is going to be the Sean Alexander award. And I've just been so humbled and thanking God about that because we actually have ability to go and remind these kids that you, this award is not about just because you're good. This award is because you have talent, you have character, you're going to eventually be an ambassador to your school. And hopefully you're going to become a legend to the NFL and carrying that identity there's going to be a way that you do everything that's going to impact your family, your brothers and sisters, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, your friends, even the world. And when you understand who you are, you give everybody a shot to be blessed by God. Now, will they know in that award that you were up till three in the morning eating pizza and playing video games? Uh, you know, I'll tell the ones after they win. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and wearing slip-on shoes and not even putting God, your gear no, on to get so ready for crazy. that freshman moment. I know I have to always remind people, like, when you delight yourself in the Lord, it does not mean that you're going to win the MVP. <laughs> Just a little note, but... But uh, but it comes with everything and it's fully packaged. And uh, and I, I just want to always encourage people like, man, like go for God and trust God, like understand that your faith, what you believe in and what you trust in can all be inter- interchanged throughout Scripture. If you say I believe in God, you say I have faith in God or I trust in God. All three of those things all say the same thing in every action you do. It's always telling you what you believe or have faith in or what you trust about God. So you can be like, I'm mad at my parents. All right, what are you saying about God? Did you give me the wrong parents? Well, nah, you're God. All right, so okay, well, then what we need to do then? I'm mad at my wife. Okay, did you give me the wrong wife? Nope, you're already married to her. That's your wife. You know what I mean? So God does no wrong. So you just got to put yourself in who is God really? And then who are you in this thing? And like, just know, like, you know, Getting to tell, like, you know, my oldest daughter is 15. You already know, Brock, I'm freaking out. I'm a little step behind you. Mm. But, you know, but I'm already, like, letting her know, like, you are a princess and you're going to marry a king. And so there's just some things that I don't have to even stress about because if the guy's not king, then, or if he's not king in the making, then it's okay. You know, it's okay. We're going to love him, but we'll move on, you know? And that's the way in life with every single thing. There's some guys that are going to have super talent. They're going to be high school awesome but they're not going to be ready for college awesome. There's going to be some guys that are college awesome, but they're not going to be pro awesome. And there's going to be some guys that are pro good, but they're not going to be pro great. Whatever it is, it's okay. Long as you know that God's put you in every situation to be for him. We are God's possessions. We work for God because he's our friend. He's our Lord. He's our King and he's our Savior. Above and beyond the intersection of faith and sports. Subscribe to receive every episode at aboveandbeyondpodcast.com.